Good to see you all this morning. I'd like to welcome everyone in the gym and those watching us online as well. It's great to have you all with us this morning to worship. Just a few announcements and reminder from last week. Uh, ladies, uh, not too late to join a midweek uh, Bible study. Who's in the Bible study so far? Ladies, raise your hand. I think we've got some great feedback and responses. Uh, first one is Raised Together, a study of Colossians by Gloria Furman. Uh, Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. led by Trish Butterfield over in the gym. Uh, the second one is led by Ms. Karen Fowler, a Battle Plan for Prayer by Stephen and Alex Kendrick on Wednesdays at 6. And then lastly, an online one at Thursday nights at 6.45 called Broken Bread led by Miss Alicia Young. So any one of those are still available. It's only been one week. Just want to encourage you if you want to be a part of those. Uh, to look on the blog. All the information is there as well. Men, this weekend, uh, sorry, coming up next Saturday, um, a gathering at 8 a.m. in the gym building to discuss the book Family Shepherds, uh, led by Mr. Mark Wilkie, one of our elders. It's not too late to join. The books are in the Resource Center, and if you have any other questions about that, it's on the blog as well. So great opportunities for men and women to be a part of community, discipleship, getting to know each other, and uh, just building some good relationships. Um, so let's stand. We're going to read the word and declare the goodness of our God as we begin to worship this morning. I'm going to read from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's worship Jesus this morning. We're going to teach you all new in this morning. Called he is Jesus. Sing who will call. Who will call on the hurting? Making perfect the torn, and who will stand through the ages, giving rest to the one? Oh, He is Jesus, and He is Jesus, and Christ our Savior, He is Jesus. And who will carry our burdens and turn our sorrow to song? Who gave his life on a cross, making right what went wrong? No, oh, he is Jesus, and he is Jesus. 
Christ our Savior, He is Jesus. No, He is Jesus, King forever, our Redeemer. Take this world, 
take this world, my God,
Savior ever true. Please bow your heads with me, please. We lift up these verses out of Psalm 89. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens, you will establish your faithfulness. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. The mountains joyously praise your name. You have a mighty arm, strong as your hand. High your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face. Our Savior, ever true, we read in these verses about your faithfulness and your steadfast love for us. Uh, you are the glorious God and Father that we worship and we speak to. May we speak to you often. Forgive us when we take any of your glory, when we draw to ourselves any of these things that are truly yours and you provide or bring to light in us. Help us our lives as we reflect you, as we live in the light of you, to reflect those same virtues that we read about that you have. We just um, thank you for the opportunity to gather here as family. We thank you for this opportunity to see and enjoy one another's company, even with some distancing. We thank you for this time that we can be here together. And we remember the people who are not able to do this for health reasons or for persecution reasons. We, this is a true blessing that we have to be with family on this day and to lift our voices as one and to pray with each other and uh, praise you and recognize you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done in our lives. You have, in an instant, as we 
came to know you, you justified us. You brought us into your family. You accepted and loved us, and you have sanctified us. Help us to recognize that and to appreciate all that you've done in reality. In our, help us to recognize that in our experience of you and our life in you. Thank you for that. We we just uh, we come before you with some prayer requests. Um, these are things that are beyond our control, and we recognize that. And they're not new to you. We we recognize and we bring those before you so that you know that we are looking to you for answers and and response, and and for your steadfast love and your faithfulness in these situations. We, we lift up to you and thank you for the young adults that meet here at Gateway and just pray for their continued uh, a, a love for you and a deepening of that love for you and that relationship, uh, that you would be an encouragement to them and the, the various endeavors they are and that they would sense a, a smile upon them and that they would live as a reflection of you in the various environments that they are. We lift up to you Foch Smart and his ministry with Safety Net. We pray for the hearts of those young men and that they will be touched through uh, these, these individuals who, who live there, I mean, who, who work there and, and, and bring your love to them and uh, reflect it to them. We pray that you will touch them and, and we soften their hearts in, in whatever capacities. We lift up to you uh, Pastor Russell Zwerner, who is at Capitol Heights Baptist Church, and we pray for them as they meet this morning, that they would be pleasing in your sight in every way, that you would draw them to yourself and that you would speak uh, you your word through through that pastor and the messages he brings today and ongoing, that you would work there. We lift up to you our nation and the challenges that we're having right now. We pray for uh, the the President-elect Biden and for the Congress that's to be seated and, and um, we we just lift up to you uh, those men and women and just pray for your uh, spirit to to work in and through them and to rule them to rule in a way that would bring justice and righteousness to this country we, we just lift that up to you when we can look and, and see division and, and frustration and despair we just pray we know that you are a God of comfort and that you can bring and you can change hearts and we just look for you to do that uh, we we lift up to you it's as uh, as a god of comfort the, the people who are saddened now saddened by uh, aloneness where they have to be separate from so, from so many others uh, sadness and uh, time of grieving when people have had folks pass in their family and sadness in the context of grieving when we have missed friends and family and and uh, beloved beloved uh, folks just from our congregation that are that are elsewhere now we just thank you for your hand that you are a god of comfort and we pray for these situations in your hand in them that you would you would work in a way that honors you we lift up to you abel and daisy missionary couple among the Armari people in Peru. We pray for their practical needs in terms of transportation and that you would provide that. And we pray for them that you would give them boldness and wisdom in how to minister to those people. Help them to hear your voice and to get clear direction in these, in these practical matters as well. We thank you for the giving that has been provided to the body here and we look to uh, we look to your uh, voice as to how to use that wisely and to multiply that for your kingdom here and in other places in the world. And we thank you for Grady and we pray for uh, for him as he opens 
your word, that we will hear your voice and your spirit speaking to us. We, we worship in a God that is full of loving kindness and faithfulness. And we, we thank you for that. And we praise you in your name and look to you and your responses in these prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, Gateway family. Great to see you on this cold, wintry morning. Greetings to those of you here in the sanctuary, full house in here, those in the gym and those who are at home. We're so grateful that we get to worship together as a body of Christ and so thankful for this opportunity to study God's Word together. Did you find James chapter 5 in your copy of God's Word or on your Bible out there? We're continuing in the final part of James's letter, the final concluding words he has, these exhortations, these commands to the early believers he's writing to are scattered all around the Mediterranean region. And he focuses his final commands about how the church operates together, particularly in the issue of prayer. How do we pray for one another? How do we pray to the Lord together? Last week we began the most debated text in all of James. We came last week to James chapter 5, verse 14, and we walked through that and looked at many different ways people have struggled to understand this text. And where we concluded, just to remind you of what we saw in case you were not here last week, because we're picking back up with that this week, is that we're in a verse that deals with prayer. And the situation needs prayer, because James has been telling us to pray in all situations, when we're in trials or suffering or when we're cheerful. But the situation now, he says, where we need prayer is prayer when someone is sick. Someone is physically sick, dealing with a physical bodily illness and probably of a serious nature. So James gives some commands here of what the church is to do when a person is sick. Now to the sick believer, the command we saw last week is there to call the elders of the church. To have the elders come pray for them and to pray specifically for their healing. But we also saw last week that when one is sick, not only do they call the elders to come pray over them, but they also are to use the time for self-reflection. They use the time for soul-searching, for talking to the Lord about their spiritual condition, asking the Lord to show them areas where they need to grow. There were commands to the elders that we saw last week as well. When the elders get the request to go pray for a sick person, they have a command to go pray for that sick person. We also saw the elders are to talk to the person about their spiritual condition, to talk with them about where they are in their walk with the Lord. We also saw that the elders were to anoint the sick person with oil. And though there's many different interpretations where I concluded for us last week, it was a literally putting oil on the person, not to confer grace, not to anything mystical, but to put the oil on the person to remind them as a symbol of God's care, to remind that they are being set apart for God's care and the care of the church. And so where we came to last week was our conclusion was that God calls us to be part of a local church where we can prayerfully be involved in each other's lives. Despite the different interpretations of verse 14, I think the key thing for all of us to agree on is the fact that we are called by God to be part of a body of believers where we covenant together to walk in faith together and to, in that, to prayerfully be involved in each other's lives. Now, if you are with us last week, I kind of left you a little bit on a cliffhanger because there was part of this verse that we didn't get in. It's one of the more debated parts, and I told you that was for this week. And so that's what we come to this morning, to verse 15, to the response of what happens when the church prays in this way. So I want us to look at James chapter 5 this morning. We're going to start back in verse 14. We saw last week in Carolyn to 15, our focus this morning, because it's all one thought. So can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? I'm bringing out the English Standard Version. We also will have the words on the screen for you. But James chapter 5, starting in verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And in verse 15 now. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Would you pray with me? 
Father, we thank you for the, the precious treasure of your word, that we get to read your very revelation to us. And Lord, we come to you this morning again with a verse, Lord, that has been misunderstood, that many people who love you have come to very different conclusions about. So Lord, we ask for much grace this morning. And we want to understand what your word is saying here. We want to understand what you want us to do in response to your word. So help us this morning, Lord. We sense the, the struggle of properly dividing the word of truth, and we desire to do that this morning. So Holy Spirit, be our helper this morning. Help us know and understand and find the, the conviction and the encouragement we need from your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. So friends, like I mentioned last week, we come to a verse that Christians who love Jesus and who are committed to the word of God have many different interpretations about. Many people interpret this verse in different ways, and particularly the debate is over what happens when the church prays like we saw last week. What happens when the sick person calls for the elders of the church? What happens when the church rallies together in prayer for the sick person and sends the elders, and the elders go and pray for the person's healing and anoint the person with oil? What happens in those situations? Like I've said last week, friends, Christians who are equally committed to the Word of God, to the inspiration authority of Scripture, come down in different places on this verse. So like I challenged us last week, we want to show much grace in how we relate to one another. There are believers that I love, authors I love, theologians I love, who are radically different on what this verse means. So we want to have much grace in how we speak to one another about text like these. So what happens when we pray over the sick people in the church? When the church rallies together, well, James gives us an answer here. And let's look back at the beginning of his answer, back in verse number 15. He says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Now, to make sense of what James is saying, there's three really crucial words to understand. I want us to make sure we get what these three words are, and I think you'll see where the different interpretations start to come from. So three words we have to understand in this verse. Number one is that first word, will save. He says, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Now, this word will save is the Greek word sozo. It's used two different ways in the Greek language. One way means saving from eternal condemnation, saving from sins. And so we use that word this way a lot. Jesus saved me from my sins. But this word sozo in the Greek is also used a second way very commonly, and that's to refer to someone being saved from sickness, to be saved from illness. So you may hear someone say, God saved me from my bout with cancer. Both those words are used that way in the Greek language. Both, this word is used both those ways in the New Testament. So as you walk through the New Testament, sometimes this word sozo will save, means saving from condemnation. Sometimes this word means saving from illness. The second word that we need to understand in this text, and that is the word will raise up. The very next phrase, and the Lord will raise him up. So again, this word in the Greek is the word egero. It's used three different ways in the Greek language. Sometimes raising up is a literally raising up. My sheep fell in the well. I'm going to raise him up. That is one way that this word can be used. This word can also be used to mean the resurrection of the end of time, that we're longing for the day that Christ raises us up, that we are raised to newness of life in him. That's the second way this word is used. But a third way this word is used in the Greek language is when someone is raised and healed from sickness. They've been laying sick in bed, and God has raised them up. They're sitting up in bed. They're moving around now. The word can be used all three ways, and quite honestly, the New Testament uses the same word, in all three ways. So you'll see this word translated sometimes, they're picking the sheep up. Sometimes this word is being translated as, we'll be raised up with Christ. Sometimes this word means the person who was sick in bed has been raised up and has been healed. So it can be used all three different ways in Scripture. One more key word of this text, and that is the word sick. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Now, James, I don't know why James does stuff like he does sometimes. Here he picks a totally different word for sick, than the word he used for sick 
in the previous verses. He changes words on us here. And though the English translates as sick, it's actually a different word. Literally, this word here is being weary. The prayer of faith will save the one who is weary. Now, that can have two different meanings in the Greek language. That can mean either like an emotional or spiritual weariness. That someone who is emotionally weary or spiritually weary, they can be restored. It also can mean someone who is physically sick and weary from their physical sickness. And we've all experienced that. When you've been sick for a while with the flu or cold or some of you with COVID, you've been weary. We've all experienced the weariness of emotional weariness. We've all experienced the weariness that comes from having a physical illness. And that word can mean both things. So here you have three key words in this text. One with two meanings, one with three meanings, another one with two meanings. So you can only imagine what happens when people pick different meanings of those words, right? And put them together. Many, many different interpretations come out of this particular text. Now, before I tell you what I believe is the interpretation of this and what I believe is the lesson we need for Gateway, like last week, I want to be honest with you about ways others interpret this. Because again, people that I love, people who I follow, theologians I read, authors I read, pastors I listen to, will teach this very differently. And friends, if we're going to be honest, when John MacArthur and John Piper disagree with each other on a text, it's a harder text to come to terms with. And so I want to walk you through several different texts, or several different understandings of this text, and tell you why I think these are not the best ways before I get to what I believe is the lesson for us here. But again, we want to show much grace to those who think differently. Now, with this text, some people would say, and these are, I'm starting with the first several that I do not think this is what it is, but I want us to look at it. Number one, some people say this has nothing to do with physical healing. This is spiritual healing only. Again, there's believers who hold to the Word of God and the authority of Scripture who say, no, this has nothing to do with physical healing. This is about people who are struggling with sin, people who are struggling with weakness spiritually. And this is a promise for them to God to restore their faith, for God to strengthen them. And they go through those words I just mentioned to you, and they look at the spiritual meaning of sozo, or the, this, the spiritual meaning of being raised up, and the idea of weariness you know, from the word sick, and they say that you can interpret it that way. And friends, yes, it is true that God loves to strengthen the faith of his children. It is true that God will one day raise us up in newness of life with Christ. It is true that when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All that is true, friends. That's not what this verse is about. Two reasons why I think this is not about spiritual healing, but about physical healing here. Number one is the context. If you look back at what we've been walking through, James is talking about how we respond to external circumstances. Go back to verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him praise. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. As we saw that several weeks ago, he's talking about when you're in the low points of life because of your circumstances, or the high points of life because of your circumstances, that you can pray to God. That in all circumstances you pray, how do you respond to whatever comes your way in life as you are to pray? Jameson turns in verse 14 and highlights a particular difficult circumstance, and that is physical illness. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And so there's no reason in verse 15 to make a subject change here and to change this from about how we respond to difficulties in life, including physical sickness, and shift this to being then about a spiritual issue. So I believe the context keeps us away from this being a spiritual understanding, but a physical illness. Second of all, friends, though these words I mentioned can have many, underst- many meanings in the Greek language, if you go back to the Gospels, in particular, the way these words will raise and will save are used are very often in the context of physical illness. So, for example, when it tells us that he will raise him up, in the gospel, if you go back for that, that's so often used for physical healing. Matthew chapter 8, Matthew, put that on the screen for us. Matthew chapter 8, 
verse 14. When Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick. Okay, here it is. She's lying down. She's sick. This is a physical sickness with a fever. So he's made it really clear it's a physical sickness. Now, verse 15, if you go to the next one. He, Jesus, touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. This word, she rose, is the exact same word in James that will be raised up when the person is prayed for. Go a little bit further into Matthew, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 5. Jesus says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk. Going in verse 6 there. But so that you know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. That word rise and rose, it appears that it's the exact same word we have here back in James chapter 5, where the Lord will raise him up. Likewise, in James 5, we're told this promise that God will save the one who is sick. Throughout the Gospels, will save is used for healing from physical sickness. Matthew chapter 9, verse 20. This is where our English translations don't really do a service here. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him, behind Jesus, and touched the fringe of Jesus' garment. For she said to herself, if only I touch his garment, I will be, well, it's translated made well. The Greek word here is sozo. She literally says, if I touch his garment, I will be saved. Same word that James is using here in reference to what happens in response to the prayers of the elders and God's people over the sick. Likewise, in Mark chapter 5, verse 22, we see something very similar there. Mark 5, 22, then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name, and seeing him, seeing Jesus, he fell at Jesus' feet. Then in verse 23, we see what happens here. And he implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be, here it is, made well, it's the word, so that she may be saved and live. So throughout the Gospels, you see this word will raise or will save being used in terms of physical healing. So in light of the context of the verse we're in today, in light of what we see laid out in the use of these words in the Gospel, I don't see any compelling reason for us to try to write this off as, oh, this is not about physical healing, this is some type of spiritual. Yes, God can heal us spiritually, but here I believe James is dealing with a clue, just a clear, straightforward understanding of physical sickness among church members. So what do you do with that then? What is this promise then? What is this statement that the prayer of faith, go back to verse 15, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Well, people then take that, and there's three different ways that they take how this could possibly be a physical healing. Some people say this is a physical healing, but it only happened in the time of the apostles. That verse 15 here is, it was true when it happened, that when the church in the apostolic time would come together and pray over the sick, anoint them with all that God would raise them over, they're saying that doesn't happen anymore. Well, that's not a discussion for this morning. That would take more than about five minutes this morning to do justice to, to that whole cessationistic particular viewpoint there. But for this particular text, regardless of not whether you hold to a cessationist view of some of the healing gifts and sign gifts, again, that's a different discussion, this text does not warrant us going that direction. James is not dealing with anything related to the apostles here. James is simply speaking to the church, the scattered, to the church, and he addresses the elders of the church, the ongoing office of leadership in the life of the church throughout all of time. He's writing to them, so there's no reason for us to limit this because of different beliefs in different sections of Scripture to say, this isn't, this isn't about healing anymore. So I do not think we can take this text to be, this is a physical healing, but it doesn't happen anymore. So the third way to, to happen, if you swing the pendulum to the whole other side, there are denominations and groups in America that teach this is a universal promise, that if you pray and follow these steps, God has to heal every single time, that there are no exceptions. This will always happen every single time, that anyone who's sick if the church follows this procedure, God will always unconditionally heal every time, no exceptions. 
Friends, that is not what this text teaches. That's not what any text teaches. Friends, if that was the case, the church could stop death. If, this, if that was the case, that God has to do this every time the church rallies together, then a person on their deathbed could call for the elders, and they could anoint them with oil and do all this, and they could stop death. But God is very clear in Scripture in Hebrews chapter 9, it is appointed for man to die once. That I have a set day when my death will happen, and you do as well, and there's no amount of me claiming promises that can stop God's sovereign plan for the length of our lives. Furthermore, to those who hold this view that God will always do this, this is not the testimony of the rest of Scripture. Particularly if you think about the Apostle Paul, a man of incredible faith who had a physical affliction himself that God did not heal. We've looked at it in recent weeks, but 2 Corinthians chapter 12, if you go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, So to keep me from being conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh. Now let's just stop there. He does not tell us what the thorn is. Most scholars say it's some type of physical affliction that he's facing. So he has some affliction that was given to him in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Now verse 8. Here's Paul's prayer in the following verse. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. So here's Paul, a man of great, great faith, a man of great prayer, a man who wrote much of our New Testament, who's taught in the New Testament what faith is all about. This is a man of faith who three times pleads with the Lord to remove this sickness, this affliction from him. And how did God answer? Verse 9, God says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul, Paul prays to God three times. God didn't say, okay, yeah, I have to do it because you ask. I promise to always do everything my people ask, therefore I'm going to remove it. God says, no, but I'm going to give you something better. I'm going to give you grace. Same thing happened to those in Paul's life. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20. Here's Paul's concluding these letters we call the pastoral epistles in 2 Timothy. He's talking about different people the church would know. And he says, Erasmus remained at Corinth. And I left Trophimus who was, what? Trophimus was ill. Paul left a person sick in that city at Miletus. Did Paul not have enough faith? Did Paul not claim this enough? Was there some sin in Paul's life? No, friends. God does not promise to always heal every time we ask. Friends, the view that is pushed today in some churches that God will always heal, and there's no exception to this, friends, has hurt so many people. There's so many people who've received some awful diagnosis of cancer or COVID or even sometimes the death of a family member, and they go to this text. They say, no, no, look, God has promised to always heal, and they start claiming their healing. They start claiming the resurrection of their dead family member. They start claiming that these things will happen, and they pray, and they pray, and they pray, and it doesn't happen. And so the church leaders go, well, God's promises, if it's not happening, it's because you have sin in your life or you're weak in your faith. And so people's final months of battling cancer or battling whatever are not spent thinking about heaven. They're spent being beat up on because they can't figure out why in the world their faith is not adequate enough to raise themselves back up or someone else to healing here. That's not what this text says. That's a dangerous view to think that God will always do everything that we command of him. So some people, to try to find a balance between those, because some people say, no, no, this is physical and only in the time of the apostles. Some people say, no, this is physical every time. Some people try to find a little middle ground here, including some authors I like, but they say this is physical, but only when God gives special revelation. And they will hang on this verse 15, go back to verse 15 here, and that phrase, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And these are people, again, who love the Lord and love the Word of God, and they say, look, what this means is that there's certain times in life that God will give you some type of impression or knowledge that He is going to heal this person, so you have this boldness to pray a way that perhaps you normally don't pray. Friends, I do not see any textual reason to go there. There's an appealing way to go there because it makes the problems, the difficulties of the text go away, but that's not what this text is saying. The prayer of faith is not some special extra revelation from God to tell you He's going to heal someone, therefore you pray confidently and then God will do it. That's not what this text is about. 
So what is this text about? I've just spent but 10 minutes telling you what the text I think not is not. What is this text really promising? I think the answer for us, I think the better solution to understanding this passage comes in two important phrases here that go back to back. I think they give us the clarity we need in both the English and in the Greek. These two phrases are side by side. So go back to the very end of verse number 14. And then in verse number 14, we are told here, let me find it right here for us, that the, the elders would go praying over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. We're going to focus on that, in the name of the Lord. And that goes straight into verse 15, and the prayer of faith. So we're to pray in the name of the Lord, and we're to pray in faith. I think those two phrases give us a solution to what this is actually telling us to do and what will happen in these situations. Let's look at those two phrases. End of verse 14 here, we're told to pray in the name of the Lord. Now let me take us back two weeks to this and just to remind you of something that the, in the Greek structure here, the verb is to pray. That's what the elders are commanded to do. Anointing is a participle, meaning it's secondary. You can almost like put it in parentheses. So the main idea here is to pray. And you're told how to pray. You're to pray in the name of the Lord. Now, what does that mean to pray in the name of the Lord? Well, the name of the Lord is not some magical thing. It doesn't mean that if you just say, Jesus, 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 the person will be healed. The name of the Lord represents his character, represents his nature, his attributes. What our teenagers are studying on Wednesday nights, the attributes of God, seeing who he is for who he shows himself to be. And I believe one particular attribute is in view here when you think of the name of the Lord, and that's God's, we call it his omnipotence. Omni, the Latin for all, potence, his power. This is God's omnipotence. This is God's power. When you're praying in the name of the Lord, you're praying that very consciously that God is all-powerful, that nothing is too hard for God, so you can go to him in prayer asking for anything. Friends, this is a reminder that when we pray, we are talking to the one who spoke, and in six days, everything we know came into being. At the sound of his voice, he can create everything in six days. This is the one who can make oceans part to deliver his people on dry ground. This is the one who can call dead people to come out of tombs. This is a God who has zero limitations, who is all-powerful, and there's nothing that is too hard for God to do. That means when we pray in the name of the Lord, we can pray big prayers. Because we can ask God to do things beyond our ability. We can ask God to do things beyond the ability of the strongest, smartest people on the planet. We can pray and ask God to do anything because there's nothing too big or too hard for God. That means when we pray in the name of the Lord for healing, we are praying to God who, if he chooses, can heal anyone. There's no cancer. There's no COVID. There's nothing that's too hard for God to go, "Ah, I can't help that person. They're too far gone. Nothing is impossible. He can even bring the dead back to life. We can pray bold prayers for healing in the name of the Lord. For those of you who've been through Discover Gateway, you know that's part of even the story of this church. That the founding pastor of Gateway, soon after he established this church, got terminal cancer and wasn't given but a few weeks or months to live. And the church rallied around him and prayed over him, and God supernaturally healed him. And Gateway was able to be established. So even our story as a church has people of this church praying big prayers to a God who is omnipotent. And God chose in that situation to intervene and use his power and put it on full display and even establish this church. And so when you pray in the name of the Lord, you're remembering that God is all-powerful. Friends, before we move on to the next phrase, that truth is a corrective for us. I'm afraid that in the American church, and even here sometimes, we're afraid to pray big prayers. We pray timid prayers. We um, go to God almost hesitant, like, Lord, I'm not sure if you want to. Friends, we can go to God and ask him to do big things and do miraculous things because God is a God who is all-powerful and can do it. All throughout Scripture, he does big things. He heals people. We see him doing it throughout church history. He's still doing it today. We see God moving all over the world, doing things that could only be explained with his omnipotent 
power. So we can pray big prayers. But that is balanced with the very next phrase that comes right next to it in the Greek. And let me remind you, when the Bible was written, there were no verse numbers to split up sentences. These were added later for our help. So what to us looks like two separate ideas. When James is writing, there's no break. And if you know back to Greek, they didn't even use punctuation or space. They just kept writing. And there, was just, there weren't even spaces between words. I do not know how they read it back then that way. But this is all in James's mind, one flow of thought, not, not broken up like we see here. So they're to pray in the name of the Lord. And he goes straight into verse 15, and the prayer of faith. You pray in the name of the Lord and you pray the prayer of faith. Now, what is faith, friends? We use that word a lot. But think back, if you were with us three years ago when we walked through Ephesians for a whole year, we said that faith was simply trusting in God. At its very fundamental level, faith is trusting in God. So how do you pray in faith? Well, I'll tell you what we do not do to pray in faith. To pray in faith is not demanding that God has to do things our way. That is not faith, that is pride. When we go to God and say, God, you have to do this, 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 and this, that's not faith, friends, that is pride. Likewise, for us to go to God and tell God how he has to order his universe and how he has to arrange history and how he has to do these things, that is not faith, that is folly. And if we go to God pretending that we know what is best, God, I know this person, the best thing that would be to help them is this, 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 and this, we're acting out of pride, not out of faith. God is sovereign, we are not. So when you pray in faith, that means we do pray acknowledging his knowledge. Praying in faith is saying, God, you know everything I do not. Praying in faith is acknowledging God's wisdom, saying, God, I don't have all wisdom, but you are all wise. You know the perfect path. Praying in faith is acknowledging God's sovereignty, saying, God, you have a plan. You have something you're trying to do. I do not, and I will trust you in that. And praying in faith is trusting in God's goodness, that God loves his children, he loves his people, and he will do what is best for them and for his glory. So praying in faith is not going to God demanding he do things the way we want It goes to God in humble submission, acknowledging his knowledge, his wisdom, his sovereignty, and his goodness. Isn't that how we're taught to pray in Scripture? Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Matt, if you put that one up on the screen for us. In Matthew 6, we call this the Lord's Prayer. Perhaps the better word is this is a model prayer for us. In Matthew 6, 9, we're told to pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now verse 10. It's a great verse. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That a prayer of faith goes to God saying, not, God, my will is for this to happen. You better go do it right now. The prayer of faith goes to God and says, God, here is my humble request. This is what I would like to see happen. And you're big enough to do that, but God not, God, not my will, but yours be done. That's what Jesus himself did. Luke chapter 22, verse 41. When Jesus in the garden agonizing before his arrest and crucifixion, Jesus withdrew from them, the disciples, about a stone sword. He knelt down and he prayed. Jesus talks to the Father here. And in verse 42, we see what Jesus prays there. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. I'll just stop right there. Jesus is praying a big prayer. He is praying a prayer asking the Father who is all-powerful to do what would be in, in Jesus' thoughts here would be a much better situation here, right? That he wants this cup, this situation to be removed from him. But Jesus follows up with this big prayer with this, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The model in Scripture that Christ himself models is praying big prayers because God is all-powerful, but submitting them to the sovereign plans of God in faith. That means here, as we try to pull this together, friends, that this particular text for us is not a promise that God will heal every time. It is a promise, though, that God invites us to come ask for healing any time it's needed. And we can come to him asking him to do it because he is all-powerful and he can, but we submit that request under his sovereign plan, trusting him, trusting his goodness and his wisdom and his faithfulness and his sovereignty and all those things to do what is best and right. 
Now, how do we pull that together? Now, I want to give you the main idea, I believe, of this text. Normally, I give it to you at the beginning, but I've been building to this. Here's what I think this text is teaching us this morning. Simply this, friends. Prayers for healing should acknowledge both the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, when we go to God with prayers for healing, any prayers needing God to do big things, we come to Him acknowledging both His power and His wisdom. Friends, that provides the corrective we need to both views that I believe are wrong here. The view that God does not heal Thinking through this text corrects that. God can heal, and God does heal because he is all-powerful. But the view that says God has to heal because I demand it or I ask it, that's not true either. God does not. He is all-wise. We are not. So we go to God with prayers in the name of the Lord and prayers of faith, prayers that acknowledge his power and his wisdom. And as we do that, sometimes God says yes to those bold prayers. And sometimes he does miraculously heal the person like he did the founding pastor of Gateway. And in so doing, he shows his power. But other times we go to God with these prayers in the name of the Lord, these prayers of faith, and we bring these bold requests before the Lord, and the Lord says, no, I'm going to give you something better. And like Paul, perhaps what is better is grace in the trial, some perseverance that cannot be explained anything but God's power enabling us to withstand trials that we didn't think we could walk through. Perhaps it's some grace for some opportunity to make Christ known that we never would have. And perhaps even when God says no to healing, he's actually doing something better. He's taking us on to eternity because our days are numbered. He's taking us to a place where we're free of pain forever and ever with him in his presence. And when he does that, he's showing his wisdom on full display. So when we pray these prayers of faith in the name of the Lord, when we ask God to do the big things, and if he answers them the way we want or if he does it some different way, whatever he does, his glory is on display. The church, when it rallies together in these prayers, the church's faith is built up and our faith is strengthened. So I want to take that and turn it into a question for us this morning as we wrap it up, friends. And it's simply this. Are we willing to pray bold prayers together as we trust both the Lord's power and his wisdom. Are we willing as a church family? Are we willing as small groups? Are we willing as groups of friends? Are we willing as families of husbands and wives and parents with kids? Are we willing to pray bold prayers together, trusting both the Lord's power and his wisdom? Friends, for some of us, we need this text because if we're honest, we're not praying. Situations happen and we just keep trying to manage it in our own strength and our own wisdom and we just kind of walk through life very self-sufficient and we need a text like this to tell us the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. We need texts like this to correct us for not praying, for not doing what verse 13 said. Is anyone suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. So we need a verse like verse 15 here in spite of the challenges to wake us up for not praying. For some of us we need verse 15 here to correct us for our timid praying. Because we go to God hesitant to ask for the big things. Whether it's a physical healing, whether it's a saving of a marriage, whether it's getting through some trial, whether it's some financial difficulty, we go to, we're really timid to even talk to God in big ways. And so we have these very kind of cookie cutter, you know, prayers that we learned as a child that we just kind of repeat. We don't go to God and lay out our pain and lay out our needs and ask God big things. So some of us need verse 15 to push us into asking for bigger prayers. God is all powerful, so we should ask him to do these things. But for some of us, we need this, this verse 15 to correct us for our proud prayers. Because we've gone to God from a place of pride and given God our demands of God. This has to happen. God, I'm claiming this. And God, you have to do this. And we go to God, not as humble children, desire, bringing our requests, but trusting. We go to God from a place of pride and shaking our fists, saying, God, this is how I want my universe to be ordered. And unfortunately, many Christian books on prayers teach us to do that very thing. But for some of us, friends, whether it's a corrective for not praying or whether it's a corrective for timid praying or whether it's a corrective for proud praying, for all of us, regardless of our struggles or not struggles in this area, for all of us, verse 15 is an invitation. I don't want you to miss that. This is an invitation from our Creator. 
It's an invitation from the sovereign king over all, the one who has bought us and brought us into a relationship with him, the one who has saved us, the one who loves us beyond any love we can imagine, the one who rejoices over us with singing. He says to us, come talk to me. He says, are you struggling? Come pray. Are you cheerful? Come sing my praise. He says, in any situation you're in, please come talk to me. He says, are you sick? Come pray about it and ask for healing. Are you struggling with something? Come pray and ask. It's an invitation from the king to run to him in all of life's circumstances, to talk to him about it, to pour out our heart on our pain, our hardships, to be real about our struggles and to ask him to do big things. And as we do so, he will remind us of his power, he will remind us of his wisdom, and he will give us much, much grace for whatever we face. Friends, are we willing this week, as families, as friends, as small groups, and as a church family together, to pray big prayers, trusting both the Lord's power and his wisdom? Would you pray with me? Father, what an incredible thought it is to realize that we get to talk to you. Lord, I think sometimes we take that so lightly that we have an invitation from the great I Am, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, We have an invitation to walk into your throne room unashamed, not embarrassed, not timid, not fearful, but to walk into your throne room and to talk to you. Lord, I pray for myself and these precious brothers and sisters that, God, we would ponder anew the wonder of that reality, that we get to talk to the one who knows everything. We get to talk to the one who has no beginning and no end, the one who has always been and always will be, the one who spoke the universe into being, the one who is sovereign and wise and good and kind and merciful and just and all that and so much more, that we get to talk to you. Lord, would you forgive us for those times that we have failed to talk to you, that you've been standing there with open arms, inviting us into your presence, saying, come talk to me, I know you're struggling. Come talk to me, I know you're hurting. Come talk to me, I know you're rejoicing. Come talk to me, and we've just going through life our own ways. Lord, forgive us for those times we have been so prayerless. But Lord, we also want to confess for the times that we've talked to you, but we've been scared to talk to you. We've talked to you in such timid ways. When you invite us to ask for big things, God, forgive us for our weak faith that acts like you can't do big things. And Lord, forgive us also for those times that we've all kind of shaken our fist at you and demanded you to do things our way. But we confess we don't have the wisdom, we don't have the knowledge that you have. So Lord, we gladly submit to you. Lord, what a glorious thought that is, that whether it's a physical affliction or some other relational trial, financial trial, or whatever we're walking through, that we get to come to you asking about whatever it is and trusting that you are wise and good and will do what is right. So would you take this truth of this harder verse and anchor us into being a people of prayer? a people who will pray the big things, trusting in your power and in your wisdom. And I pray you do that, Lord. Our faith will be strengthened, that we will see you moving in ways far beyond we could ever have imagined, and that ultimately that you will receive the glory for whatever you do. And Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song this morning?
Thank you for all that you have done, God. It is in your name we pray. Amen. You guys are dismissed.